Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars hello and welcome to the program after an interesting week up in darwin joining me to discuss the weather in darwin and a lot more is richard Crail from sbs speed week of course the voice of the nationals the voice of carrera cup touring car masters and did you get the formula four gig <laughs> Hello, Craig. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. No comment on that one. Um, also, from foxsports.com.au, it's William Dale. Great to have you back on the show, William. Great to be here, Craig. What a weekend in Darwin. Now, William, the traffic that you would have received after Craig Lowndes' 100th win, what did it just go crazy? Oh, my goodness. I tell you what, I've been, to be fair, though, I've been waiting for this for at least three rounds. I've had a couple of stories in the can waiting waiting for him to finally get up and get 100. Oh, it was good to see. It was really... It's it's something you don't, in our sport, we don't get to experience. Like, with the amount of... I guess with the amount of races that are on offer now, I mean, there's, what, 38 races in a season, it's still remarkable that one man can accumulate 100 victories. Uh, one of the things that sort of went through my mind, of course, you know, the iconic Alan Moffat Mustang, uh, that car on its own has 102 victories. To see something like as a driver take 100, you compare that to, say, Richard Petty. NASCAR's got Richard Petty. It's it's a big milestone, and I'm glad that everyone gets how big a deal this is. Mm. And the relief on his face, Richard, was just unbelievable, wasn't it? You could see that it was a huge weight lifted off his shoulders. Yeah, it, it was. And to, to further Will's point as well, it, it, it's interesting that we were able to celebrate that kind of a milestone because I think compared to a lot of other sports, mainstream sports, motor racing might not be quite so mainstream, uh, not so milestone driven. So in cricket, everyone's looking for a century or a five for... In football, you're looking for 100 goals a year or, um, you know, 300 games is the big big accolade at the moment. But motor racing sort of, it's lap records and things like that and, and championships, yes. But outside of that, there's not those individual player-style milestones that other sports have got. So I think it's significant for that reason. Um, it's significant, too, for the fact that it's Craig Lowndes and he's still the sport's most popular driver by an enormous margin. Um, and the outpouring of emotion at the circuit was fantastic, and we all knew it was going to be like that. But to be there and to uh, to be able to experience it was sensational. Um, I, I especially loved the part of of the lap of the god style moment when uh, the pit lane came out and applauded Craig as he drove back towards the the winners' victory lane at the end. Um, the only other time we've seen that happen was when Murph did the, the 6-8 at Bathurst all those years ago. Um, that was a great experience, and you know, people were clapping in the media centre, the crowd was going crazy. Uh, it was a fantastic thing to be part of and to be there live and witness it happen in first person 
was uh, sensational. It's one of the great stories in uh, in our sport this year and for a couple of years as well, I think. Mm. And then on the back of that, David Reynolds, Richard, getting his second win, drinking from his boot. My goodness. it, uh, it It's a track that David has been on the cusp of getting victories before. I, I must admit, uh, David would have been looking in that rearview mirror, seeing a Pepsi Max car going, oh no, not again this year. Well, after getting served out of the lead by his teammate the other year, you would be thinking exactly the same thing, but he almost shot himself in the foot with it when he fired the thing off the road at turn five, took the shortcut, and I thought the way he managed that mistake and, and rejoining and making sure he slowed up enough so that he didn't get pinged for having an advantage was the sign of a, a mature race car driver, a mature David Reynolds that perhaps a couple of years ago might not have existed. And I think his post-race celebration, yes, he drank champagne from his boot, which is pretty pretty disgusting to be honest, but uh, especially in those temperatures. Um, but outside of that, there was it was just the celebrations of a driver who badly needed a race victory and knew it. And that's what he got. And it was pretty restrained. There was a bit of relief. Um, and it was it was a case of, oh, I finally won. I finally done what my two teammates have been doing all year, which is racing at the front of the field consistently and winning races. Uh, it was the sign of a driver who was very, very happy to win. And then a little bit of Reynolds kookiness thrown in on the side, which was always good fun to see. Mm. One of the things, William, that I know he was uh, most proud about, well, not most proud about, but one of the things he was very proud about when he won um, in, what, 2013 at the Gold Coast was the fact that because he threw the pot plants off into the crowd and uh, had a bit of a, uh, you know, a story, a cut-through story, if you like, uh, across all media platforms. He was interviewed on Monday on Triple J's afternoon show and he said to me, Craig, I'm the only V8 driver that's been interviewed by Triple J. And I, <laughs> I know he was very happy about that because it, it, it's a sign that you do need those types of personalities to get yourself into that broader media because, let's face it, the, the hardcore fans, the nailed-on rusty fans, they are already sold. Well, it's not, it's not so much a question of having that type of personality. I don't think it's a question of having personality, full stop. I mean, Reynolds tends to, I guess, wear his heart on his sleeve and just be a little bit, I guess, out there compared to the regular, more polished guys. But, you know, it's something that's resonated with the fans. I mean, you see how he interacts with his fan group on social media whenever he's on a t- on in front of a TV camera. He always has something mildly entertaining to say. It's you're right. It's exactly what the sport needs to reach out to that mainstream demographic, which, to be fair, it hasn't. It's had trouble doing in recent years. Mm. Well, we certainly could talk about this a lot more, but we do need to continue on. So after the break, let's look at more of the stories from Darwin here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with William Dale and Richard Crowell. And Crowley, more friendly fire for HRT. And I have to say, Garth Tander afterwards, he didn't miss when he was being talked to about what happened. He uh, he certainly made it known that he was fed up with this sort of uh, occurrence. Yes, and Garth's generally not one to mince words uh, and like seeing him say what he thinks. It's always a good thing. As we said before the break, it's nice to see drivers with a personality and, and saying what they feel. It's unacceptable, but at the same time when you've got two championship-winning, extremely capable drivers that I think if you polled most people up and down pit lane would be rated within the top ten drivers in the sport consistently, um, you're going to end up in a situation where your cars are close together. Now, we saw it at Simmons Plains a while back, didn't we, with Jamie Winkup and Craig Lowndes, that massively dramatic moment where they carted each other off the road. But whether Red Bull Triple Eight's done a better job of managing that compared to HRT at the moment, I don't know. Maybe it's just circumstance. Sometimes these things just happen. We've seen them finish 1-2 in the last couple of years and not get within an inch of punting each other off the road. But it just seems like situations are conspiring to get them together and then them feeding each other off the road. Not great for HRT, but uh, what is good is that both cars are clearly fast. They've got good speed. They're both towards the front of the field with more consistency this year than they've shown for the last couple. So that's the positive. The negative is they've got to stop taking each other off the road because they're not going to win championships by doing that. And you can understand the frustration from GT, uh, who was having a a pretty tough weekend anyway, uh, when that kind of thing happens. Will, I, I don't mean to harp on it with you again, but uh, it does seem that this HRT business, it's great for the rusted-on hardcore fans, but it's not, again, a cut-through sort of story, is it? Well, I think it just... it That boils down to the way the drivers are actually talking in the media. Like We've seen that inter-team rivalries in motorsport can cut through to the mainstream media. I mean, look a couple of years ago to Vettel and Webber, that... That did phenomenal traffic for us here at our website, and I'm sure for others, uh, for other websites and other media organisations around Australia. It's Garth said what he was thinking in a, in a way where anyone who knows anything about the sport knew exactly what he was getting at. But it's not the soundbite that the general public needs to be able to hook in. I I'm I'm not sure what really to do about that. Because all these drivers, we love them because they're so media savvy and media trained. But in a way, we have to kind of undo that a little so that they do say what they're thinking sometimes. Mm. And I guess both good and bad, not not just uh, not just at times when um, when the the um, red mist is descending. But you know, how we go about doing that, I'm not sure. Mm. Well, two foot in mouth awards. Certainly, one coming from the Courtney incident where he tried to blame other people for the incident where the replay clearly showed he stepped across into the gears which then set about the chain reaction and uh, I think he 
certainly copped a bit uh, overnight, Richard, for trying to uh, deflect responsibility. Yeah, yeah, he did. And the other one you're referring to is obviously going to be Nick Burkett, isn't it? So, <laughs> I mean, look, these, these incidents happen. It, it's nice when drivers tee off, um, and sometimes they're not in possession of the full set of facts when they get interviewed, when they get out of the car. But that's generally what what generates the great soundbite or the great comments that we want to see because that's what incites and controversy and some discussion. Um, we, we'd be much poorer off if everyone was completely vanilla and we didn't get any sort of discussion out of things. So, you know, while Courtney had his interpretation of what happened that probably wasn't quite on the money, Nick Perkat probably teed off at somebody that he didn't need to tee off at subsequently apologised for it and clarified on social media what he was talking about. Um, at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'd rather they said that and got it wrong rather than not said it at all and just goes, oh, yeah, whatever, move on, um, because otherwise we'd lose that spontaneity and, and, you know, people telling us what they feel and giving their emotions. And, you know, we want these people to be portrayed as guys who have just got out of the heat of battle and they're fighting and they're working hard and they're desperate to win races and... Um, you know, they're, they're elite athletes giving it at all. Um, we want that to be shown when they get out of the race car, and that's what makes good television, makes good media, and gives us stuff to uh, waffle on about on, a, on an afternoon. So, yeah, look, I don't have a massive problem with it, to be honest. Mm. Of course, William, the interesting thing is that the access we get is better than all the football codes combined. There is no football code that lets you speak to a player right before he's about to run onto the ground. In fact, Ken Hinckley probably won't be giving any more press conferences 15 minutes before the game. <laughs> I'm, I absolutely agree with you there. I've worked as a sideline reporter at NRL games and you know, there's definitely no chance of wandering down the tunnel at half-time and popping into the room for a chat with Jonathan Thurston. That, there's no way that could possibly happen. Yet, halfway through the Bathurst 1000, we can grab a guy for a chat directly after they've hopped out of the car in the middle of the race. I mean... But that is ultimately one of one of the great selling points of our sport. We talk to guys when they're fired up, when they're ecstatic, when they're emotional, when the adrenaline's still running quite high after they've hopped out of the car doing all these wonderful things that they do out on the track. And that's the side of the sport that we need to sell to the general public. The it gives them an emotion to attach to I guess bite into to attach to something that they can resonate with and when we start doing that better we do a good job of it at the moment but when we start doing that better i think you'll see v8's profile start to really take off in the mainstream Mm. yeah it's it's just how do we cross over because it seems richard and i really have to ask you this question more than will it seems we are still stuck in that mindset it's a channel 10 property it's a fox sports property rather than being it's a sporting property that everyone wants to know about? Uh, yeah, yeah, look, it is. Um, but at the same time, it's an incredibly crowded marketplace that we as a sport, and we need to look at motor racing as a whole here rather than just the at Supercar. Um, as a sport, we're competing, with, we're competing with AFL, which is the biggest media... Um, market in Australia in terms of headlines they dominate. The NRL, which is very close behind. A-League Soccer, which is enormous. And then all the other fringe bits and pieces. I was in the airport on Monday coming back from Darwin and the lead story on Sky Sports News was the Matildas getting through uh, 
Women's World Cup of Soccer, um, which was followed by a report on the Austrian Grand Prix, which was then followed by a report on David Reynolds uh, winning in Darwin. So we're competing with a whole bunch of different avenues and different sports, but then we're also competing with motor racing on its own. So generally, people are probably going to leave Formula One before they run a V8 supercar story. Um, and that's just the way it is. So I think it's a case of we, we just need to keep chipping away and keep generating compelling storylines, complete, uh, continue building the profile of the drivers in it um, and, and jumping on situations that warrant being a good story and trying to make the most of them. And one of those is Craig Lowndes. And I think the sport succeeded in getting good cut through and, and good pull through with that to turn it into a story that was more mainstream than what we've seen in the past with other stories this year. Mm. Well, we can certainly continue on about Darwin because there were more stories coming out of there here on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as V8 Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where William Dale and Richard Crowell join me, Craig Ravel. And if there's one man who, if he had no luck at all, it would be probably better than the bad luck that he's been having. A brand new car for Fabian Coulthard, and he's off the track in all three races, two times seriously affecting his result. So, William, that was just a tough weekend. What's the old Barry Sheen saying? If he had a duck, it'd drown. <laughs> I've got to say, there is a positive. There's a silver lining there for Coulthard, though. That car, as you pointed out, was fast. It was fast at Hidden Valley, and the Brad Jones racing cars haven't always been quick there. And if you go through the results over the course of the year, that Freightliner racing car has been reasonably, reasonably there or thereabouts at most of the circuits. So I think the fact that this brand-new car has also been quick at a track that they're, historically they're not great at, that's surely got to be a big boost for Coulthard's credentials as being a legitimate title contender in 2015. Mm. Richard, you were, um, you, know, you were watching this car getting beaten from pillar to post, and then on Sunday, leading the race, he drove off the track himself and unfortunately wasn't able to regain in his original position. Correct, but on the flip side to that, he still escaped with with a solid points haul, with uh, a, still a strong position in the championship that's becoming increasingly split between those in the top three and four, and and that's the nature of how competitive it is this season, where we've had nine different winners from the first 15 races I think we've had so far, so everyone's taking points off everyone else, and I think I think it's going to continue like that for the rest of the year. Whereas last year we saw a definite shift in the second half of the year where Jamie came along and put his stamp on proceedings and, and dominated and ultimately saw him do what he did. Um, I, I think it's a different scenario this year. It, I, I think the thing that everyone's picked up on now, as Will mentioned, 
you've got to, I think, based on what he's achieved in the first half of the year, I think Fabian Coulthard has to be considered a contender. Might not be favourite, probably isn't, but I think you have to look at him as a contender. And I'm not sure we said that about a BJR driver for the last time over the last four or five seasons. So I think from their perspective, that's a real positive. And uh, whilst we're talking about cars that are fast, the Nissans have found some speed too, Richard. They have. Pleasing to see. Um, they, they've got to start getting some results soon. And it was great to see Rick Kelly grab a pole. It was great to see him grab a podium. Uh, it was great to see the other cars up there in the mix in one of the two races. Um, and it was great to see Rick walk away with a lap record. So the cars have got speed. Um, they're moving towards. They've still got engine upgrades to come, as we know. That's been well talked about. Um, they're going to be on the money for the rest of the year, I think. And I don't think it'll be too long before we see uh, we see a victory. It's great to see Rick Kelly back at the front. Um, you know, we, I think we've forgotten over the last few years how good a race car driver he really is. Uh, he, he's one of the best. He's a champion. He's won plenty of stuff. But the last few years, he hasn't been able to show that. And then when Anissan's been winning, it's been Moffat or Caruso right at the very front of the field, like we saw at Winton the other year. So, really pleased for Rick and, and good for Jack Daniels as well because if anyone needs a result, Sam and we need to keep sponsors like that in the sport and the best way to keep them in is by getting results. So couldn't come at the uh, at the best time for those guys. Mm. And if you're a steward last weekend, you would have earned all of your voluntary salary. William, they had an amazing amount of work to do. I think the old um, delivery drivers in Darwin would have been making a few trips out to Hidden Valley on Saturday evening, given the laundry list of incidents that Bargs and co. had to assess. But, you know what, I think the verdicts that they handed down, I don't disagree with any of them. I think they pretty much got them on the money. And it says an awful lot that, given the vast amount of incidents that happened on Saturday and, to a lesser extent, Sunday that we wake up on Monday morning and aren't talking about the, about them making a howler, goes to say the quality of officialdom from in B8 supercars at the moment. Mm. And uh, just as a by way of uh, digress, digression here, we think they hand out some tough penalties at timing V8 supercars, but how do you go when you're McLaren and you cop 50 grid places across two cars, William? That... That is when you really know there's something fundamentally wrong with the way the sport's going. Well, at least it was handy for them. I mean, they didn't technically have to drive to Austria. They could have just started the race at the McLaren Technology Centre and been done with it. <laughs> As it was. It's like, it's, it's like all those years ago when McLaren copped that fine, though, for the um, whole Spygate scandal. 100 million US dollars. I mean, Formula, Formula One has not been a sport that is... But has been based in the real world for quite a long time, and I guess this shows it's sort of continuing. Richard, uh, you know, obviously there's cost cutting, and then there's just just unfathomable decisions. Yes, but they're the rules, aren't they? And uh, they all play to the same set of rules, uh, whether you like them or not. In Formula One, and plenty of people don't like them at the moment. Um, McLaren knew the rules and they copped the penalty for it. It is a bit silly, isn't it, though? Oh, it's a bit crazy at the moment. But anyway, that's uh, that's the way it is and uh, I'm sure they'll find a way to engineer themselves back to the front because uh, they're a super racing car team, McLaren, and they'll get there eventually. But uh, it's been pretty character-building 
as a long-term McLaren fan for myself personally, watching them uh, be where they are at the moment, it's pretty hard work, especially a uh, gifted racing car driver like Fernando Alonso being in the state that he's in. Um, yeah, not great. Mm. I'm almost wondering if they're going to get to the stage where they go, well, we're just going to have to put more grid spots on and leave them empty. So we can, you know, like you said, starting at the McLaren Technology Centre in England and uh, trying to make it back to the track in Austria because, uh, you know, to say that you're going to have to have a penalty uh, on the grid and then if there's not enough grid spots, we're going to bring you in for a drive-through and hold you and it, it just makes a farce of the whole the thing, silly, really. The silly thing is is that when you sell the penalties that were lumped at Red Bull for changing engines and power units and all that, and they should have been the back, but then other people's penalties actually rocketed Red Bull further up the grid than where they were supposed to start. That's when it all gets a bit farcical and you start looking and going, oh, come on, there's got to be a better way of better way of fixing this. But uh, they had an opportunity to fix the power unit thing by giving everyone an extra engine, but uh, like always, the teams couldn't agree with that in Formula 1 and <laughs> it didn't happen. So uh, we're left with this re- reasonably remarkable situation that we had on the weekend. Mm. And, of course... Uh isn't it, isn't it so good, William, that when it comes to making decisions that V8 supercars are all on the same page, Roland tells us what to do and we follow in, we follow in straight behind. <laughs> oh, I'll leave, leave you to deal with that one, Craig. <laughs> yeah, you get a phone call about that one. Yes. We'll take a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Uh, The views on this show, of course, are of the people making the comments. Richard Crail and William Dale are joining me, and that's all right. You got a call from Roland, didn't you? uh, (laughs) And also, uh, I thought it might have been a case of everyone would have just rung up and dealt with the uh, television show and realising that, not realising that there was a podcast of the same name. Hey, William, Saturday, these races are boring. We've got to put soft tyres in them. We've got to do this and do that to change them. What happened on Saturday? They exploded. There was cars banging and crashing. It was as if it was, uh, you know, a, a last chance race. Oh, it was great. It was like everyone just left their brains in the transporter for, for a 20 lapper. It was fantastic. Um, that said, I don't, I don't know whether that was necess- necessarily a function of the rules changes that they've brought in. I mean, it was the hard tyre race that caused a lot of the carnage. I think a function of that, of course, is the new track surface that they brought in. But also, don't forget that Hidden Valley, it's a long drag from the start from the grid area down to Turn 1. And you're arriving there at a very different speed to what you would do at any other time of the weekend for the first time, surrounded by 25 other cars. So I guess it kind of stands to reason that all the action, I guess, started at Turn 1, Lap 1 of both races. I think the thing with that weekend was it's proved what the drivers have been saying. It's proved what a lot of the media have been saying. 
since the start of the year that if you have grip, you generally, and I say generally because not every race can be a cracker, but generally you have a better racing product. And when they unload it on Friday, and, and this is my experience calling the support categories Utes and TCM as well, was everyone got out of the cars and goes, oh, grip, grip, it's great. Um, so hard tyre or soft, and we didn't see a huge amount of difference between the two of them uh, in terms of lap speed on the weekend, uh, certainly durability as well. Um, but, but they had grip. So when you have grip, your confidence level skyrockets, and all of a sudden you're feeling a bit more confident about what you can do with the car, how late you can brake, can you throw it up the inside, yes I can, oh no, I've just crashed them off. But that was what we saw on Saturday. I think everyone was going, oh wow, we've got all this grip, so we can have a go, we can actually have a crack and try and overtake. And race one was the net result of that not going brilliantly in some occasions, people cutting each other off the road. What it was was a brilliant spectacle, and they were two of the best races all year in terms of keeping us entertained and putting on a show and doing exactly what we want V8 supercar racing, what we want touring car racing to be. Um, so I think it's a byproduct of that. The other thing was, and again, chatting to the support category drivers, they said that new surface was fantastic and really grippy right up to the point where you extended yourself. And the margin between being on the absolute limit of grip and going over it was very small. And as soon as you went over it, you were off the road, which is why we saw so many guys go off at Turn 10, especially that fast left hand around the back of the circuit. Um, so I think the new surface certainly played a role in, in spicing up the racing and giving us those two extraordinary races on Saturday. Yeah, it, it was a very entertaining weekend. Also a very warm race day, which, of course, uh, brings us to the next point we need to touch on because a lot of talk that Darwin's thinking about having a night race. And, uh, William, an interesting, an interesting situation because, as we know, there's a lot of things to do in Darwin nightlife. It's warm. It's a good time to be out in the town partying. Is that the perfect time to have a car race? I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I would have thought that one of the major selling points about Darwin in the middle of June is the bright blue sky, the nice warm atmosphere, which when you compare it to how Sydney was over the weekend, um, Sydney was definitely not neither of those things. So I'm not sure how a night race would necessarily showcase that. And I guess although it's still warm, it in the evenings it wouldn't provide anywhere near the same level of high heat as it will during the day and the consequent different consequent issues that that causes the teams to have to deal with in terms of setup in terms of grip in terms of tires falling away i don't know if, if you are going to hold a night race i honestly don't know whether hidden valley is the right one to choose personally i, I have an opinion about this gentleman okay. don't do it bad call <laughs> um not places you have a night race in V8. Queensland Raceway, Sydney Motorsport Park, probably, I don't know, Winton, that might be fun. Uh, not, places, in, not in winter, not it would be. <laughs> no, well, that'd be very freezing. But places you don't have a night race, Darwin doesn't need it. Don't mess with something that works brilliantly. In the fourth or fifth year in a row, they had 20,000 people there Saturday and 20,000 people there on Sunday. It's fantastic. You've got concerts at the end of it. Then everyone migrates into Mitchell Street in the middle of town and has a beverage or two or more in some instances and has a really good time and you get the best of both worlds that Darwin's got to offer in the middle of a, a southern winter, which is 
a beautiful warm day at the racetrack and then a warm evening when you can actually go out into town and enjoy yourself, whereas you'd be mad to do that in Adelaide or Melbourne or even Sydney at this point in time. So I, I don't, and as Will said, I don't know what benefit it would give them because it would take away all the selling points, which is making everyone stuck back in Melbourne or Adelaide go, oh, gee, I'm jealous. I'd rather be up there in the warmth and the blue skies and playing with crocodiles. Yeah, for me, it's a, an interesting one, and I'm with you, Richard. If you're getting people up there to do the tourist thing and, you know, obviously there's a percentage of the crowd that is tourists flying into Darwin to have a holiday and to go to the races, then wouldn't you want them spending their excess cash at your restaurants, your bars, and then trying to get them to stay a couple extra days to do Leachfield National Park, Kakadu, and those sort of things and extend their stay to say, well, it's cold, I'm going to stay up here, you know, an extra two, three, four days and enjoy the warm weather, which if you give them the day to go off and do that sightseeing, they might not give you a couple of extra nights in a bed. Mm. I'm, I'm all for night racing. I'm a big, big fan of night racing, and at certain tracks, I think it would massively enhance the show and, and the draw and getting people there. Sydney Motorsport Park's been discussed, and that's absolutely one of them that should go to night racing. I don't see where it's going to benefit the MC major events people and the government up there. I, I don't think it would attract more people. I don't know if it would be any better for TV or not. Primetime's wonderful, but is it going to make a massive difference to ratings? Probably not. Um, and and what, happens if you, well, what happens if you get primetime Geelong and Collingwood? Well, you get a blockbuster AFL game against mm. it, you're going to get smashed whether you're the world championship of motor racing or not. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't, don't get the appeal of, of making that event night racing. I'm all for spicing things up, but that's one event that doesn't need spicing up. I think it's brilliant as it is. Mm. Well, we need to take a break and a final thought after this on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two lap to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. William Dale, a final thought or observation. Uh, can we please get all tracks all tracks resurfaced um, before every V8 race? That's, that's my final thought. <laughs> okay. Um, Richard Crowell. Uh, yeah, that'd be great, especially Winton. That really needs a resurface. Um <laughs> My final thought is, isn't the V8 calendar super when it allows us to escape three degrees, as it was when I left Sunny Adelaide uh, last week, to go to 33 degrees in Darwin and in two weeks' time go to Townsville, will it be a balmy 25 or 26. Uh, good calendar programming, and they can condense the calendar as much as they like V8 supercars, but please don't take away our winter vacation to the sunside. Yes, it'll be interesting to see if we can get a nine or ten month year. Realising, and this is the other critical thing, if you say you have a ten month season, every employee is entitled to four weeks holidays. So that means it's automatically an 11 month season. So you're really talking about one month of 
work if you go to 10 months. If you go to nine months, you've got then effectively two months of shop time to rebuild cars and get ready for Gen 2. Good luck fitting 16 race meetings in nine months. (laughs) (laughs) We'll call it IndyCar. Yeah. (laughs) William Dale, always a pleasure to catch up with you. And, of course, your work available each and every day at foxsports.com.au. Thank you very much, Craig. Always a pleasure. And Crowley, three-time V8 Media Association Commentator of the Year, Broadcaster of the Year. I, I can't remember the exact title. Doesn't matter. Legend. SBS Speed Week uh, has got nationals coming up very soon. Yeah, thank you, Craig. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Will, too. Love your work. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.